You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Okay, so let's go back to 1975. That was two years before Star Wars, don't forget. Jaws hit the cinemas, and it effectively was, Pascal, the first of the summer blockbusters. Before 1975, the the summer blockbuster thing just didn't exist. The summer blockbuster marketing campaigns just didn't exist. This film Jaws was the one that started it all off. So let's have a look at the trailer and then let's talk about the film. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. (laughs) From the best-selling novel, Jaws. Maybe too intense for younger children. Well, Pascal, (laughs) another trip down memory lane. You must have seen that trailer hundreds of times. In fact, you've probably seen the film hundreds of times. So tell me, what is it about Jaws that you love so much? Oh, do you know, and I'm very aware that this is not the making of Jaws. This is a marketing of Jaws. Mm. So Mm. I shall keep this answer very, very brief. But for me, it's two things. As a uh, young teenager, I think I was about 12 or 13, our local film club was doing a Spielberg special. It was Double Bill, Rage of the Lost Ark, and Jaws. And for the princely sum of five francs, you could watch <laughs> both movies. And I went in the afternoon, and I was so blown away. I think for me it was transformational, Roger, and probably what made me want to become a filmmaker. I ran home, begged and pleaded my mother to give me more money, and promised I would do more washing up, I think, in the week <laughs> leading up to, and went back in, went back in the evening to watch it again. And Jaws both terrified me, but also even as a young young man, I understood then this is a story incredibly well told mm. and an example for, for others to follow, which has been the case, of course. Yeah, I mean, again, I was, I, I was 10, I think, when it came out. And my uncle John took me to the cinema to see it because my father was away at the time I seem to think and my mother was too scared to go to the cinema so my uncle John had to take me to the cinema to see it and I 
remember him buying me a Jaws mug, which I still have in the in the cupboard somewhere. I must, you must have? Look. Wow. I'm pretty sure it's it's probably very faded and very um, uh, sort of delicate now. But yeah, and I mean, again, this isn't as you say. This is not the making of Jaws, and this is not a massive review of Jaws. But there are just some of those things that you just the storytelling, as you said, fantastic. That scene where Quint's telling the story of him oh. in that on that ship that went down with the sharks circling around is just mesmerizing isn't it you, you you get sucked in so much more than any storytelling scene in any film of all time that always stands out to me as just masterful um the you know the tension of the music the fact that they don't reveal the shark until so far into the film keeping it hidden just amplifies the, the the fear factor and and of course lots and lots of um, quite scary standout moments and, and there's one bit of i don't know whether this is just an urban legend now pascal but i want to ask you about it you know the bit where the the head comes out of the hole in the side of the boat uh, and yes. and there's the, there's the uh, there's one eye missing and it really happens and it takes and you know that in everybody in the cinema just <gasps> you know, was so shocked by this. Now, I heard back in the 70s, if you were flying on a long-haul aeroplane, they obviously didn't have seat-back TVs in those days, so they used to have big screens at the front of the cabin of the plane, and people would watch the film all at the same time, so they, they couldn't watch films on demand. Now, I'd heard that the pilots had to be aware that that part of the film when the head came out the side of the boat was coming up because literally 300 people on a 747 <laughs> would jump at the same moment and it would actually make the, the plane bounce and the pilots had to be aware of that was coming so they could compensate now i think that's probably an urban legend but i have heard it from quite a lot of people no indeed it, it happened where you know, the, the parent had heard, you know, the, the gasps and the screaming from people because, <laughs> once again, I'd imagine that a younger audience watching Joe's today may just not get the same impact. Mm. And I've seen moments where people just laugh at the shark thing. It looks fake. I said, yeah. well, what did you expect? Yeah. But I think when Stephen Spade was asked about the shark, um, Bruce, as we know, and, yeah. you know, the thing that it was awfully mechanical and it was fake and this and the other. He said, well, I will tell you that by the time you see the shark, the audience is with me. Yeah. And the audience is going to just play along and continue to essentially um, support those three heroes on, on that boat, the orca. Yeah. Three unlikely individuals, very different um, you know, the, the conflict between Hoop and Quint is just exquisite um, to watch. So, interestingly, when I'm asked about, you know, do I have any favorite moments in Joe's, they just they aren't just too many because you can watch it for the photography, you can watch it for the camera movement, which we mentioned, you can watch it for the storytelling, the acting, the writing. It's absolutely exquisite. And let's remind ourselves that this is a movie that was nominated for four Oscars and won three. Mm. You know, best music, best sound, best editing, which I think is for me to one for best editing back in the days they only lo only lost to um the uh, one flew over cuckoo's nest for mm -hmm. the best film that year and but i will say um if i take you back to when i was that child watching joe's for the first time the very first victim the whole scene filmed you know with uh, during the sunset is just uh, frightening as hell mm. and then yet yeah, the whole scene when after a day of uh, of chasing the shark they just sat there 
eating, drinking, singing that song, you know, show me the way to go home, comparing scars. And then we have the monologue from um, Robert Shaw. And then as as an audience, we are also relaxing. Bang, the shark is back, literally at- attacking the boat. And so it continues. For me, what a film, what a contribution to the world of cinema and what a way to launch your career when you are called Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Bearing in mind that this movie was nearly cancelled by the studios, took three times as long and three was three times more expensive. And when it was all said and done and they were busy just finishing the edit, Steven Spielberg will confess to being in the hotel room thinking, that's me done as a filmmaker, I might as well <laughs> be looking for a day job. Uh, absolutely. And I have to say, Pascal, it's credit to Steven Spielberg and his belief that the tension, the music, the characters sucks you in enough so that you can put up with the shark, that he's never, ever done a George Lucas and gone back and created a CGI version of the shark. Because Mm. they could do, couldn't they? They could try and come up with a shark that looks more like a shark. But it's the fact that they haven't done that that proves how successful the film was in actually not relying upon the shark. Oh, you're absolutely right. So looking at the marketing now, interestingly, as a uh, huge fan, I know you are and people around the world are, but I've got pretty much every books, every documentary, (laughs) I've listened to every podcast going. So in the making of, you and I could speak about it for two, three hours, but in the marketing of, I've learned some new things, which uh, is is a real pleasure. So to begin with, what we've done, viewers and listeners, we split the marketing campaign of all marketing campaigns for 1975 into the elements of the key art or iconic poster, the book. We're going to talk about the touring and media coverage, the TV campaign, and final kind of post-launch activities that also carry the movie forward. Um, Before we begin, can we just once again mention the music? Yeah. I mean, that movie has an identity from a sound point of view, which is quite something, isn't it? I mean, again, that music is just iconic. Everybody, even people, I mean, I can't believe there's that many people who have not seen Jaws, but even people who haven't seen Jaws would recognise the music. And and it has been reused it's sometimes in comedies. I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure I remember it. The airplane movies where the, the, yeah. the fins are going across the sky, they use the Jaws music there. And it's often used in comedy to imply tension, isn't it? I mean, that movie's been obviously linked to people being terrified to go into water. So very, very mm. quickly, 10 years later, after having seen Jaws many times already, I'm busy surfing my friends in France. I'm sat on the surfboard, feet are dangling in the water waiting for the wave, and then you feel something on your foot. And oh. I tell you, Roger, you try hard, and then suddenly in your head you hear, and then you kind of go right. And literally, it's become this thing where it's worse than the boogeyman. Anyway, talking of the shark, we mentioned what's called in industry the key art. And what is interesting the producers and financiers, uh, uh, kind of represented by Richard Zanuck and David Brown, from the get-go told everybody, we will not deviate from the key art of the shark's head pointing towards the swimmer and you know using this wonderful kind of um, image that we've seen time and time again. And that key art has been used for the poster, for the book cover, for the cup that you have, for the yep. T-shirt and so on. And already 1975, just sticking to good brand guidelines. 
Yeah, and again, you're absolutely... I can remember learning how to draw <laughs> that shark. You know, I got pretty good at drawing that shark. But um, it's just, again, we, you know, last week we talked about Misery and that iconic poster. This is, again, so simple, really, isn't it? It's a shark's head, the surface of the water, and somebody swimming across the surface of the water. And that's pretty much it. But it's it just sums everything up. And, and there's even tension in the, in the poster, isn't there? Yeah, because the anticipation of this poor victim, um, what is absolutely exquisite about the poster, it's um, hand-drawn and hand-painted, which I think gives it that um, gravitas. People still buy to this day to have in their, you know, on their walls. Yeah. Uh, but a fun fact for you and viewers and listeners, the kind of um, designer, so to speak, is called um, Roger Castell, who is also then commissioned to do the poster for The Empire Strikes Back a few years later. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Now, and if, uh, go, on. go on. Sorry. One thing I was going to say then is moving on to the second element of the marketing campaign, if that's what you had in mind. Yeah. I did not appreciate at all to what degree the book was essential, if not critical, to the success of this promotional campaign. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I do remember, maybe my memory's a little bit hazy, but the book definitely did feel as if it was all part of it. I'm pretty sure that I got the book quite quite soon quite close to the film's launch but i definitely got the book before the film and of course you have the iconic cover of the book mm. same as the film as well uh, and that just in though that created so much anticipation um because again the 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 film in the early part of the um film follows the book pretty closely um so i'd already read the book and knew what was coming uh, and the the book's really quite quite descriptive and quite tense mm. as well and of course the, the 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 film managed to amplify all of that but yeah i remember everybody had the jaws book and i remember um wh smiths in um, saint anne's square they had the big sort of rack of jaws books in the window and you know all those sharks in the window of wh <laughs> smiths again very iconic and therefore, what the the team did was to apply what you know would call content marketing technique or word of mouth marketing techniques, where they sent um, special hardcover version of Jaws, the mm. book, to what they called at the time opinion holders, which mm. I think would have the less elegant name or label of influencers, influencers nowadays. Now. Then they sent copies, you know, kind of paperback copies to. Everybody that was, I would say, a hub from restaurant owners to visible um, kind of MDs and CEOs to even personal friends in the media. So anyone that could essentially sing the praises of the book and by extension the movie was sent a, a copy. So using, once again, networking to their advantage. And not to mention, of course, that as you, the examples of many, many book outlets just creating events. I think the one that if you were uh, local to Martha's Vineyard and you could go to the very place where the film would be made to buy your book and maybe get it signed by some of the locals that appeared as uh, as extras, that would be quite special, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I, I actually struggle to think of another film actually where the book has become such a key part of the marketing campaign. Yeah, no, absolutely. So once again, not something that I had understood. I have the book as, as a collector. Um, I think it's interesting to read because you can see the difference between the book and the um, and the film, but also where, where they kept things going. 
But um, yeah, you know, at a time where once again people are singing the praises of content marketing as a newer practice, I would say, well, in 1975, people were doing it already. The one thing that, of course, they did superbly, you would expect that, is the touring and mm. media coverage. So, yeah, they went to the Cannes Film Festival, Pascal, but they didn't actually show the whole film, didn't they? They just gave them a, a longer trailer. Again, it's all about building the tension, creating the excitement, making it a must-see film. And what is interesting, I've heard that done before. Uh, Quentin Tarantino has done, done it before. Um, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme did it as well, where they don't have a film, but they managed to get the journalists to talk about a film that they've not seen just by doing uh, VIP screenings, maybe a longer trailer, or inviting them for a coffee and, and the chat. So uh, that's really quite exciting. But whilst they were there in Europe, um, which must have been interesting to travel to Europe in 1975, thinking about it. Mm. You may know which kind of aircraft they would have used then. <laughs> um, they did you know, Paris, London to negotiate um, distribution deals for the books and the movie. And maybe one for historian of Joe's, um, Zanuck and Brand was were interviewed by the BBC and ITV, so there may be maybe some footage somewhere. That would be interesting to see, wouldn't it? The one thing that research um, would suggest is that both um, Zanuck and Brand, Spielberg, and Peter Benchley then for two weeks toured eleven U.S. cities. Now there's some grueling diary. I mean, they must not have slept much. But the success of all those guest appearances on TV and radio led to the famous uh, Time magazine cover, where Jaws, literally the iconic poster, was on the cover of Time magazine. Once again, an incredible collector item to be sought out. I'm sure it must cost a fortune by now. And of course, there was a massive TV campaign, wasn't there, yeah. in the run-up to this? And, and, and again, my memory might be hazy because it's so long ago, but to me, there, weren't, there wasn't a film that had had such a massive focus on TV before this one. I mean, you'd get the odd, you'd see the odd trailer, the odd um, uh, hint towards the film. But this one, I definitely remember it being on so much. Oh, look, there's that shark film again. That's why I had to get my Uncle John to take me to see it, because I'd seen it advertised so much that I just had to be there. Well, quite simply, Roger, TV was today's social media. Yeah. This was yeah. The, the way in which you can approach an audience. And for the first time ever, much of the surprise of the different broadcasting channels, they had people from Universal negotiating with them to have the 30-second or one-minute um, <laughs> advert or, or teaser trailer, if you yeah. use that term, appearing, where they thought, no, what normally people want to sell, forgive me, products or cars or, yes. or chocolate. Why would you want to promote a film? And that allowed them to keep the price to a minimum. But as you mentioned, this is not only the first summer blockbuster, this is also the first proper summer blockbuster campaign. Mm. So they spent nearly, nearly three quarters of a million you know, uh, dollars on TV advertising, unheard of. It's now become the norm, you could argue. But before that, two things were happening. The summer was always seen as a dead period for films mm. because mm. people were too busy, oddly, going to the beach. Go and to the beach. <laughs> and therefore, a studio would just show their lesser properties during the summer because they knew it wouldn't work and waiting for the Christmas really market and, and more. And then secondly, typically, a, a movie was advertised with a press release in a local newspaper. That was it. Yeah. So the TV campaign and the book were true additions that transformed the way in which studios thought about marketing a film. And after the film was released, 
Universal kept on, didn't they? Mm. You know, there was a load of marketing tie-ins, action figures, clothing. <laughs> you know, you 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 were seeing ice cream being sold in shops in flavors like chocolate and vanilla. <laughs> um, Jaws yeah. themes, discos in the Hamptons, and and of course there was a massive increase in the number of shikes, shark sightings across the world as well, which actually had the effect of keeping people out of the water in the summer, which is uh, again incredible to to know the effect that this film had on on popular culture yeah one final thing that we know from our research is again 75 so it was released in the summer of 75 in the u.s it was uh, the following year in the uk and france so somehow we didn't have the same summer buzz it was more of a winter thing but the advertising and the, the pr machine had done its job but the one thing that i thought was once again this idea of being good at business and sales, the studios delayed the release of Joe's on VHS cassettes or Betamax potentially mm. because they thought, no, what we can do here, we can keep releasing this movie at the theaters. Uh-huh. So actually it took two, three years before anyone could get their hands on Joe's, the video cassette. And then once that was done, then all the re-release on different DVDs. And yes, as a collector, I have every single format you can <laughs> think of of that movie, a bar laser disc. But I thought, yeah, that's interesting that uh, they were able to keep releasing the movie at the theaters and make more money. Um, and well, what can we say? An amazing, amazing contribution to the world of cinema once again, um, Roger. Yeah, and, 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 and a pleasure to review the marketing. And, and in fact, you know, sometimes you and I say, we can't really do this film. It's 40 years old. We'll never be able to find out much about the marketing. But look how much you've managed to dig up on this. And these were articles and podcasts and books. So this movie was made, um, you could argue, 45 years ago onwards. Now, of course, last year in the US and this year in the UK and France is the 45th anniversary, but because there's something else going on in the world to <laughs> take its place. But I'm hopeful that for the big 5-0, they're going to do something um, very special. But this movie is shown in cinemas around the world regularly, sometimes indie movies and so on. And I recently read that Cannes did try, but of course the beaches were closed because of the pandemic. They did try to have a Joe screening on the beach. So imagine you're sat on the beach in Cannes with the scene maybe front or behind you. On the big screen, you've got Joe's, but you are sat in the same <laughs> with the waves crashing behind you. That would have been quite an experience. Fantastic. And, and such an image and such an image. And it's so good to talk about this on your birthday, Pascal. Thank you so and I, much. <laughs> I do know that it is one of your, if not your favourite film of all time. So finally, we have it as part of our film marketing slot. Everyone, thank you so much once again for watching or listening to Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch. Do please let us know what you thought of the show. Give us your comments. Give us your feedback. You can leave us comments below the YouTube video. You can talk to us on Twitter if you like. So until the next episode of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.
Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates. 